This morning we're going to be uh, continuing our journey through the book of Matthew. If you were with us last week, you recall we are in Matthew chapter 7. Last week we looked at the issue of judgment, judging others, and specifically we talked about some of the ways that we can judge others wrongly or falsely. And uh, today we're going to be continuing on with this theme of judgment, picking up again in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But today we're going to be looking at an example of where God calls us to uh, a positive judgment or a right form of judgment. And this is in regards to discerning truth from error when it comes to the false prophets of our world, those who proclaim and teach a message other than the Jesus of the Bible or the true biblical gospel. Uh, so today is going to be more of a message uh, dealing with what is called apologetics. And apologetics is simply a term which means to give a defense. We're going to be looking at defending the truth of biblical Christianity this morning. Let's uh, open up by reading a few uh, verses from Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you got Bibles, you're going to need them today. I don't have the, uh, the verses on the screen this morning. Uh, there are some Bibles under your chairs if you don't have a Bible. Uh, and if you want, you can just listen because I'm going to be reading it for you anyway. So uh, starting in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. All right, we're going to talk more about this passage in a little bit here this morning. But let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for the words of truth you've given us in Scripture. Lord, for the uh, words of encouragement not to judge falsely, but also, Lord, the admonition to judge righteously when it comes to issues related to truth and error, to the gospel versus the falsehoods that are out in our world today. Give us wisdom, Lord, as we talk about this important issue. Help us to learn more clearly today about your revealed truth so that we can recognize the errors and the false doctrines when we come across them in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last December, just a month ago, on December 7th, we celebrated the 70th anniversary of one of the most infamous events in American history. Do any of you recall what anniversary that was? Pearl Harbor, the 70th anniversary of the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor in Honolulu by the Japanese, which uh, entered the United States into the conflict uh, known as World War II. Uh, our, uh, Roosevelt declared it a day that would live in infamy. Now, what most people don't realize is that as the Japanese were bombing Pearl Harbor in Honolulu on December 7, 1941, they were simultaneously bombing Clark Air Force Base outside of Manila in the Philippines. And one of our greatest military commanders, a general by the name of General Douglas MacArthur, who was in charge of the entire Pacific Fleet Command, 
was forced to flee the Philippines with the U.S. forces who were holding the country as this Japanese attack was uh, so overwhelming and such a surprise assault on the nation of the Philippines. General Douglas MacArthur and his forces were forced to flee to Australia, but General Douglas MacArthur from Australia radioed back to the Filipino people a famous message. And if you talk to the Filipinos who were alive during this time, they will tell you that they lived for these words. General MacArthur radioed back to the Filipino people, and he said, I shall what? Return. I shall return. And if you talk to Filipinos who were alive in those years, they said that it was those words and that promise that got us through the dark days of the Japanese uh, occupation of the Philippines. General MacArthur kept his promise, and a few years later, the American forces were able to fight their way back north to the Philippines, where Douglas MacArthur retook the Filipino islands and liberated those people. Well, friends, just as General MacArthur declared, I shall return, so too has our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ declared to his people, I shall return. And the disciples of Jesus Christ were curious about when this would take take place. They asked the Lord, Lord, when will your return take place? And what are going to be the signs of your second coming? It's very interesting. Jesus shared with his disciples what they should be watching for in regards to his return. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to jump ahead in our book of Matthew here a little bit this morning and read a bit about some of the signs that Jesus said that we should be watching for prior to his second coming. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3. Jesus answered his disciples, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of war, But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and to put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Jumping down to verse 23, Jesus goes on, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Friends, when Jesus' disciples asked Him, Lord, what would be the signs of Your second coming? Jesus said, there would be false Christs and false prophets who would arise to deceive people, even the elect, even other believers, if possible. He said there will be wars and rumors of war. There will be famines, earthquakes, natural disasters. He says all these are the beginnings of birth pangs. Friends, this reads like the headlines in today's newspaper. And I want you to notice something. What is the number one sign that Jesus points to to be watching for when it comes to His second coming? What is the number one sign he lists here in verse 3? Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. 
The number one indicator that Jesus mentions that we should be on guard and watching for as it pertains to the signs of his second coming are false Christs and false prophets who will come seeking to deceive. And this morning, friends, we are seeing the fulfillment of these signs today as never before. And the rise of these false Christs and false prophets who have come into our world seeking to lead people astray. In recent years, for example, back in the 1990s, we had the arrival of the Reverend Sung Myung Moon, the Korean Messiah. Reverend Moon claims to have received a revelation from an angel of light telling him that he, Reverend Moon, was the second coming of Jesus Christ. I had the honor of hearing Reverend Moon speak at the University of Minnesota two years ago. What an honor to hear the second coming of Jesus Christ live in person. That was pretty interesting. We have other stories. Back in 1993, we had the tragedy in Waco, Texas, where David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, David Koresh convinced his followers that he was the Messiah, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He so convinced his followers that he was the voice of God on earth, God in human flesh, that when the United States government came to raid their compound for their illegal arms uh, uh, that they had uh, stockpiled, 80-some people went to their deaths in a fiery battle with the ATF and FBI because they were convinced that they were following Jesus Christ in the final battle of the apocalypse. In 1997, we had this man, Marshall Applewhite, in the Heaven's Gate cult. Marshall Applewhite convinced his followers that he was the second coming, the Messiah, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He convinced a group of highly educated computer programmers and engineers from Southern California that he was the second coming. He so convinced his followers that he had the truth that uh, there was this period where the Hale-Bopp comet was circling planet Earth during this time in 1997. And he told his followers that there was a UFO hiding behind the comet, and if they would simply take their lives, that their spirits would be taken by this UFO through the heavens to heaven's gate, where they would experience their own transformation to become gods themselves. And 39 people committed suicide believing that this man was the second coming of Jesus Christ. A couple of years ago, we had the story of James Arthur Ray, a New Age guru in Arizona, and three people who died in a sweat lodge ceremony where they were trying to get in touch with their own inner divinity. He had told them that they could discover their own inherent God inside of them. We have stories like I saw in the Star Tribune recently. Elvism. Evidence suggests Elvis worship is an embryonic religion. There's a whole group of people in our world today who worship Elvis Presley, who literally believe that when Jesus Christ returns, it is going to be Elvis Presley who is the second coming of Jesus Christ. We laugh at this, but if you read the article, the people who have studied this religion say this religion is growing at a rate similar to that of first century Christianity. Spiritual confusion, spiritual blindness. We're seeing the growth of this spiritual confusion today as never before. Jesus told us to be on the watch for false Christs and false prophets. It's no wonder that a few years ago, U.S. News and World Report called America a nation of lost souls. People who are spiritually confused, seeking after all types of non-traditional religious movements. 
looking to get in touch with God, but not through God's traditional revealed truth given to us in Scripture. It's very interesting. 150 years ago in America, there were less than a few thousand people involved in what I would call the cults, these non-traditional religious movements. Today in America, there are over 1,000 cults in America alone with some 25 to 30 million followers just in our country. People who are pursuing these non-traditional spiritual movements, seeking after false Christs and false prophets. Now friends, this shouldn't surprise us, for God's Word has warned us that this would take place. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're going to read uh, beginning in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says to Timothy, Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. If you turn a page over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this to Timothy, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And friends, we are seeing this reality today on an epic scale. False Christs, false prophets, false cults. These are all fulfillments of what Jesus warned us about regarding the end times. One of the arenas where we find these false prophets today is in the whole realm of what I would call the non-Christian cults. Now, the term cult first came to people's attention back in November of 1978. Many of you will recall this famous story of Jim Jones in Jonestown, Guyana, where 913 Americans committed mass suicide in the jungles of Guyana in South America. Jim Jones had so thoroughly convinced his followers that he was the second coming of Jesus Christ that when he ordered his people to go and drink grape Kool-Aid laced with cyanide poisoning, 913 people lined up. Parents gave it to their children first and then drank it themselves. And the newspapers and magazines showed the bodies laying in the jungles of South America. Jim Jones began as a legitimate Christian minister in Indiana. He eventually went on a power trip moved his followers to San Francisco, began to claim that he had received revelations from God, claiming that he was the voice of God on earth, eventually claiming that he himself was the second coming of Jesus Christ. His followers were so convinced that they were willing to leave everything behind and move to South America. When the U.S. government began investigating because of concerns from family members back home, Jim Jones ordered his followers to take their own lives and 913 Americans committed suicide. It's very interesting. The commander of the United States forces who was sent down to Jonestown to recover the bodies, to bring them back to America, the commander of the U.S. forces who cleaned out Jonestown, he was a Christian. When he returned to Dover Air Force Base, he held a press conference. And he said, the thing that interested me most about Jonestown 
was we did not find a single Bible in all of Jonestown. We did not find a single Bible. Jim Jones had so convinced his followers that he was the voice of God on earth. He had so thoroughly replaced the truth of God's Word with his own man-made teachings and revelations that his followers were willing to go to their lives following this false prophet. Now friends, what you need to understand as this commander of the U.S. forces noticed in Jonestown, the common feature of all of these cults and false prophets today is that they replace the authority of the Bible with some new man-made teaching or revelation. They replace the truth of God's Word with their own false man-made teaching or revelation. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7, which we read a moment ago, to beware of the false prophets. They are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Outwardly, they often look very innocent. They may even look like Christians. They may sound like Christians. But Jesus said, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. And this is why Jesus said we are to judge them by their fruit. Now, in the Bible, there are two types of fruit that are spoken of. There is the fruit of a person's lifestyle, okay, the fruit of our actions, which is a demonstration of our love and trust in Jesus Christ. What does our faith produce in our actions? But the Bible also speaks of the fruit of our doctrine, the fruit of our beliefs. And when Jesus tells us to beware of the false prophets, you will know them by their fruit, he is speaking of the fruit of their doctrine. Do they hold fast to the truth and the authority of God's Word, or have they left the truth and authority of God's Word for some new man-made teaching or revelation? And thus we must judge them by their fruit, the fruit of their doctrine, the fruit of whether or not they are holding fast to God's Word. Let me just share with you briefly this morning some common examples of some of the false prophets in our world today. Uh, some of the best examples or the most obvious examples come from these, this whole area known as the non-Christian cults. There are basically four categories of non-Christian cults in our world today. We're going to look most specifically here this morning at what I call the pseudo-Christian cults. Groups that claim to be Christian, groups that often look very Christian. We'll talk about them in a moment. You also have the Oriental cults. These are groups that find their basis in Eastern philosophy, Hinduism, and Buddhism uh, that would advocate uh, methods like transcendental meditation and yoga meditation as a way for you to uh, attain enlightenment and become one with the impersonal universe that they call God. You have the New Age cults and the New Age movement, which teaches that men and women have evolved physically and now we must evolve spiritually to become gods ourselves. You have the whole world of the occult and the spiritistic cults. The occult is about seeking to gain knowledge and power by tapping into the forces of darkness. But this morning I want to focus specifically on what I call the pseudo-Christian cults. The term pseudo means similar to, uh, uh, they look very Christian, they come across sounding very Christian. These are groups that claim to be Christian. They claim to believe the Bible. They claim to uh, trust God's Word. But what you find is they have added a new revelation or man-made teaching over and against the Bible through which they then interpret God's Word. And in doing this, they end up denying the basic foundational truths of biblical Christianity. 
Some of the most common examples of these pseudo-Christian cults that you'll see in our world today, groups like the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, these are probably the two most common examples of these pseudo-Christian cults in our world. Uh, how many of you have ever had a Mormon missionary or a Jehovah's Witness come to your front door? Raise your hand if you ever had, uh, look at that, pretty much everybody in this room. Okay? Uh, these are pseudo-Christian cults, groups who claim to be Christian, claim to believe the Bible, but they've added a new revelation or man-made teaching through which they interpret the Bible and thereby end up denying all or many of the basic doctrines of biblical Christianity. Now, when it comes to groups like the Mormon Church or the Jehovah's Witnesses, what is it that deceives most people about these types of cults? What is it that deceives most people about these types of cults? Now, I want you to understand this, friends. If you understand this next point I'm about to make, you'll understand the difference between all of the false prophets in our world today and true biblical Christianity. What deceives most people about these false cults and false religions in our world today is they all use Christian terminology, but they redefine the words. They all use Christian terminology, but they redefine the words to fit their own man-made teachings and beliefs. For example, if you were to ask a Jehovah's Witness, do you believe in Jesus Christ? The Jehovah's Witness will say, of course we believe in Jesus Christ. But if you ask, well, who is Jesus Christ? The Jehovah's Witness will tell you Jesus Christ is Michael the Archangel, the first creation of God, who came to earth as a man, died on a stake, rose as an invisible spirit and returned as a ghost in 1914 to Brooklyn, New York to head up the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. If you ask a member of Christian Science, if you go downtown to Minneapolis, they have the Christian Science Reading Rooms, downtown Minneapolis. If you ask a Christian Science practitioner, do you believe in the Trinity? Of course we believe in the Trinity. And if you ask them what is the Trinity, they'll tell you that the Trinity are three ethical principles. Life, truth, and love. These are groups that claim to be Christian, claim to believe the Bible, but they have taken the Christian terminology and emptied it out of all of its theological meaning and then repackaged it with their own man-made teachings and beliefs. Friends, this is like if you were to go home today after our worship services and uh, you go to your refrigerator. Wives, try this this afternoon. You go to your refrigerator, you take out the jar of mayonnaise, Right? Take out the jar of mayonnaise, you scoop out all the mayonnaise out of that jar, and then you repackage it with Crisco shortening. Okay? Alright? Now, when your husband comes to make a sandwich later that afternoon while he's watching the football games, right? He's going to open up the refrigerator, he's going to see the jar of mayonnaise there, it says mayonnaise on it, right? The label says mayonnaise, it looks like mayonnaise. He's going to spread it on a sandwich, he's going to take a bite, and what's going to happen? He's going to choke on it, right? Okay? And you see, this is what has happened with these pseudo-Christian cults. They've emptied out the Christian terminology of all of their biblical orthodox meaning and then repackaged them with their own man-made teachings and beliefs. Probably the most notorious for this redefinition of Christian terminology is the group known as the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you have a Mormon missionary come to your front door, they'll wear a little name tag that says, Hello, I'm from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And many Christians say, oh, that's nice. I believe in Jesus too. One of our current presidential candidates, Mitt Romney, 
is a devout Mormon. He's actually a member of the Mormon priesthood. And Mitt Romney, for the last few years, has been telling people that I'm just another evangelical Christian. But friends, if you ask the Mormons, do you believe in God the Father? They'll say, of course we believe in God the Father. But if you ask them, who is God the Father? They'll tell you that God the Father was once a man like you and I, a mortal man with flesh and bone. He lives on a star base called Kolob today with a body of flesh and bone with his goddess wives. He was once a man who, uh, through his good works and faithfulness to the Mormon church, evolved to become a god himself. And every male Mormon today believes that they have the ability to one day evolve to become gods themselves over their own planets. The Mormons teach that there are actually millions of gods who preside over their own planets. Our god is simply one god in a whole pantheon of gods. Friends, this is not orthodox biblical truth. They use the same Christian terminology, but they repackage that terminology with their own man-made teachings or beliefs. Now, the question we need to ask is this. With all of these different groups and religions out there today, how do we know if a religious teaching is true or not? And how can we judge a true prophet of God from a false prophet? Well, the good news, friends, is that God has given us a test for truth. And what is the test for truth by which we can judge a true prophet of God or a true teaching from a false prophet or a false teaching? Well, the test for truth found in Scripture is this. God has told us that he is immutable, he does not change. God, by nature, is unchanging. And God's truth and revelation to us is changing. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 6, 17, 18, God says, my nature is, an un is unchanging. On top of that, he says, I do not lie. God is immutable. He is unchanging. When he reveals something as truth to us, we can be confident that that truth will always remain the same, will always remain consistent, because God is unchanging by nature. He doesn't tell us one thing and then years later come and reveal something completely different and contradictory to what he's previously revealed to us. God is consistent and his truth remains the same. Now because of this, we can judge any new teaching or revelation that we come across based on God's previous revelations given to us in Scripture. And so if you ever hear someone coming along who claims to have received a prophecy from God or some new teaching or revelation, we must always test this new revelation or this younger revelation by God's oldest revelation, His Word, the Bible. And if some new prophecy or teaching comes along and it corresponds with what God has already revealed to us in Scripture, we may accept that teaching and trust that it is from God if it is consistent with what God has already revealed. But if someone comes along and brings a new teaching, and when we examine that teaching or prophecy, if it does not correspond with what God has already revealed to us, we can reject that teaching knowing that it is not of God, it is a false teaching from a false prophet. Now, why is this test for truth so essential for the Christian to understand today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 4. The Apostle Paul explains why it's so important that we understand 
this test for truth. Paul says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For, so, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Paul warns us here, friends, that there is a different Jesus. He says there's a different spirit. Paul says there's coming a different gospel. And friends, this reality is here today. Different Jesuses, different spirits, different gospels at work in our world today. For example, today we literally have a smorgasbord of false Jesus Christ being served up to the public. Who is the Jesus of the cults? If you ask the Mormons, they'll tell you that Jesus Christ is the spirit brother of Satan. He's a man who evolved to become a god, one god among a pantheon of gods, born through physical incest when God the Father came down and actually had physical relations with Mary. And Mormons teach and believe that the blood and cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness. It is Joseph Smith who we go to for salvation. You'll never see a cross on a Mormon church. You'll never see a cross on a Mormon temple. Friends, there is no true Christianity without the cross of Jesus Christ without the blood of Jesus Christ. Mormons dislike the blood of Jesus Christ so much that they use water in their communion services rather than grape juice or wine because they want no representation of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you ask the Jehovah's Witnesses, who is Jesus Christ? Again, they'll tell you he's Michael the Archangel, the first creation of God. He is, came to earth as a man, died on a stake, and rose as an invisible spirit. Christian science says that Jesus is a divine idea. The Reverend Sung Myung Moon says that Jesus is a man who failed, and he, Reverend Moon, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Baha'i faith says that Jesus is just one of nine great world manifestations. The Unitarian Universalists say Jesus is a good man who was mistakenly deified by his followers. Freemasonry teaches that Jesus is just a moral teacher, no better than Buddha, Confucius, Moses, or Muhammad. The spiritists say that Jesus is an advanced medium in the sixth sphere of the astrological projection, wherever that is, right? Unity says he's a man who perfected a divine idea. The Rosicrucians, a manifestation of cosmic consciousness. Transcendental meditation teaches that Jesus is an enlightened guru who never suffered or died for anyone. Friends, Jesus said, watch out for false Christs and false prophets. They come to you as wool, as dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They take these terminology, Christian terminology, we believe in Jesus Christ, and they empty that out of its, empty that of its true biblical meaning, and then repackage it with their own man-made teachings or beliefs. We must always test all teachings by God's word. Who is the real Jesus Christ? And how can we discern the true Jesus from the false Jesus of the cults. You know, friends, we're not all going to become cult experts here in a short sermon on a Sunday morning. But what I do want to encourage us with this morning is that we learn to recognize the truth in the real Jesus Christ so well that when any of these false teachings or false Christs come across our path, we'll be able to identify them immediately. 
You know, it's very interesting, the Secret Service and the FBI, when they train their agents to detect counterfeit money. You want, you don't want to know one of the cool ways they train their agents to detect counterfeit money? They'll take their agents and they'll put them in a room for a solid week where all day long they do nothing but handle real, freshly minted U.S. dollar bills. That's all they do. They smell them, they touch them, they feel them all day long. After a solid week of doing nothing but handling real, freshly minted bills, as soon as a counterfeit slips across their fingers, they're able to recognize it immediately because they've come to know the real thing so well. And friends, that's what we do when we come to church together. That's why we study God's Word. That's why we preach sermons. That's why we go to ABFs and Bible studies. Is We are here so that we might learn the truth so well that when any of these counterfeits come across our paths, we recognize them immediately because they're not based on God's truth revealed in His Word. Who is the real Jesus Christ? The Apostle John shares with us in John... 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Who is the real Jesus Christ? John, one of Jesus' dearly beloved disciples, says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. John says, do these prophets, do these religions acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God come in human flesh? If they do, they may be legitimately of God. And if they do not, that is the number one sign that these are false prophets, false religions. They do not recognize Jesus Christ as God in flesh. John, in his gospel, he opens his gospel with a very powerful demonstration that Jesus Christ was God come in human flesh. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John says, In the beginning was the Word. He uses the Greek term logos to refer to Jesus Christ, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is how John opens his gospel. Now, friends, look at what John does here. John uses what in logic is called a logical syllogism. He says, if the Word was God and the Word became flesh, who became flesh? God became flesh. God entered human history. He became flesh incarnate. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. 1 John 4 says that whoever acknowledges this truth is of God, and whoever denies this is of the Antichrist. The chief mark of any false prophet or religion is an unbiblical view of Jesus Christ. The other key distinguishing mark of all false religions is this, and I'll close with this. The key distinguishing mark is a teaching of a different gospel. A gospel of works where we must earn our own salvation through our human efforts, our human merit. They teach a false Jesus and they teach a false gospel. See, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel of works that we must earn and work for our salvation. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is that salvation is a gift. We cannot earn it, we cannot work for it, we cannot buy it. All the false cults and religions of our world say that salvation is something that you must do. You must earn. 
through your merit, through your good works. I had a Jehovah's Witness come to my front door this last summer. We ended up talking out on the end of my driveway for about a half an hour. I asked this man, I said, Sir, let me ask you something. Let's say that as we're standing here, a car comes racing around the corner and uh, slams into me and I go flying across the street and I'm laying in the street and I'm dying. I'm bleeding. I've got 30 seconds of life left in me. And I said to this man, if I'm sitting here on the street and I'm dying, I've got 30 seconds of life left, what do I need to know in order to be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? And this Jehovah's Witness, he said, well, there's lots you need to do. And I said, lots? i got 30 seconds. I'm about to die here. What do I need to do to be saved? And he literally hung his head and he said, I don't know. And I explained to this man, I said, Sir, if you cannot communicate the gospel of how you can be saved in 30 seconds or less, or less you are not proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple, you can share it in 10 seconds with somebody. John 3.16, God says, For He so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. You can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't buy it. It's a free gift that God offers us. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, He promises to cleanse us of our sins and bring us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Friends, if you've got only 30 seconds to share with somebody involved in the cults, a Mormon missionary, a Jehovah's Witness, my favorite passage of Scripture to share with them is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Salvation, friends, is a free gift. As we close this morning, if you've never received the free gift of Jesus Christ, there's no better time than right now. can't earn it, can't work for it, you can't buy it. God holds it out. He says, this is my son. It's a gift. He died on the cross for you because, as we sang earlier, he loves you so very much. And I pray this morning, friends, that you'll receive that wonderful, awesome gift that God offers us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the truth that You've revealed to us in Scripture about who You are, about Your Son, and what He has done for us, how salvation is a free gift. It's not anything that we can earn or work for, but it's something that You give us freely. Lord Jesus, if there's anybody here this morning who's never received the good news, the free gift of Jesus Christ, I pray that right here, right now, they might even just open their hearts to you and say, Lord, I know I need you. I confess my sins and I want to receive the salvation that you bought for me through your Son, Jesus Christ. So easy, so simple, but you love us so much, God, that you hold out this gift. And I just pray, Lord, that we all would know the hope that is found in the grace of Jesus Christ. God, give us a heart for these people in our world who are caught up in these false religions. Help us, Lord, to know the truth, to have a passion for the truth, and to be willing, Lord, when we have opportunities to share the truth with those who have been caught up in these false man-made systems. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.